the trip I wanted to do was to hike out of the Salmon River Canyon, so the second deepest canyon in North America, up um, into the mountain range, summit eight of the major peaks in the mountain range, and uh, then descend into Hell's Canyon and take pack rafts with us and then pack raft out of, uh, out of Hell's Canyon on the Snake River there. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 239, Sam Thackeray talks about thru-hiking the Seven Devils Wilderness in western Idaho. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. So today on the line with me is Sam Thackeray. Um, Sam was actually referred to us by his friend Toby, and I have to say a shout out to uh, to Toby. Thanks for for letting us know about Sam. We love when you guys get in touch with us and uh, give us tips on adventurers we need to talk to. We can't uh, find everybody out there, so uh, yeah, we really appreciate you guys reaching out to us and, and letting us know. So first of all, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you, man. So we're going to talk today about a little bit of a mishmash of adventure. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some rafting in Idaho and Oregon. We're going to talk about some hiking in the Seven Devils Mountain Range, which I want to know about. I want you to explain uh, to me about what that is and uh, what it's like out there because it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, we're going to talk about some climbing and canoeing in Moab. And if we can get to it, hopefully we can talk about... Uh, another river uh, river trip down through the Grand Canyon and even some backpacking in Spain. So that's a lot to cover, but I'm hoping we can get to all of it. So let's get on with it. Um, I normally start with your background. So as a, as a kid, uh, we were just talking before the interview, you were born and raised in McCall, Idaho, right? Yeah, that's correct. I love McCall. I have, uh, I've been through there twice now. One was work-related, and, uh, and actually I just came down there through, the, uh, through there on a, in the spring on a motorcycle, and that is a beautiful place up there. <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's kind of a nice little recreation hub nestled in, uh, nestled in the mountains, got a lake right in town, and millions of acres of national forest and wilderness surrounding it. So, uh, you know, if you like the outdoors, and that's, that's a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. So you were born in the middle of a uh, adventure territory. Was that a big part of your your growing up as a family? Or yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> my dad in particular was a, a real big outdoorsman, but uh, all of the family vacations and um, outings were pretty much centered around you know going out in the mountains or on the lakes and rivers. So I, I was kind of just destined to spend life in the outdoors from a pretty early. Uh, age. <laughs> so do you feel like as a kid, uh, because you did adventurous things with your family, do you feel like that that's what led you into an adventurous adulthood or do you think you would have ended up there anyway? Um, kind of hard to say. I, I do think definitely in the upbringing had a lot to do with it. Uh, I, I might've found my way here eventually, but just, uh, being introduced to it and learning, you know, all that, the outdoors has the offer and uh really got bit by the snowboarding bug pretty early and that's that's been a big driving force and dictated a lot of uh my adventures and searching the outdoors in general yeah yeah imagine 
Okay, so let's talk about uh, your summer job. You, uh, we alluded to some rafting. So you're a, a river guide in the summer? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And not for five years now. Uh, kind of started out while I was in college and graduated college, and uh, it was just too fun and too good of a job to quit doing. So just stuck with it and uh, haven't looked back since. So tell me about the uh, the river rafting itself. I've been, I think it was my bachelor party, uh, have been river rafting once and had an absolute blast. But um, yeah, I don't have a ton of experience in it. So go into that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I work for a company and it's pretty cool. We get to run about 10 different sections of river throughout the, the northwest, specifically Oregon and uh, Idaho and Northern California, um, and there's you know there's a lot of different uh, aspects to rafting. There's anywhere from half day trips that are a few hours long, uh, upwards of you know like a Grand Canyon trip that um, you know when we did it was an 18 day trip. So there's uh, all kinds of different things, and you know there's adventure trips that are really wilderness based. Uh, there's kind of like the high adrenaline type stuff that's real. Uh, bang 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 lots of rapids big white water things like that you know more of a float style um kind of a family style of trip and uh you know rafting is one way to experience it but we do we get a lot of people into uh inflatable kayaks and we've really started to push um stand-up paddle boards lately so <clears throat> there's you know just a ton of different ways that people can experience rivers in general and uh you know just wilderness and outdoors yeah it's not a way a bad way to to spend life in the summer is uh floating down the river are you more apt to uh to be into the the rapids trips or the the relaxing float trips um we do you know i do both uh, i definitely have a little bit of a adrenaline junkie side going so i, I do love the big white water the class four and class five um, but it's really nice to just have a, a mellower trip that's a little lower stress and spend five or six days out on the water running class threes and, uh, you know, taking kids down the river and introducing them to that type of thing, kind of the way I was. Um, so I, I really like both of them. It's just uh, a good mixture is what I found is important. Yeah, true. I imagine it's got to be uh, very fulfilling to get kids out there, especially uh, a lot of opportunities where kids are having their first time on the river and to, uh, to be able to introduce that, that lifestyle to them and, and let them know that, you know, they, they too can get out there and, and do that kind of stuff. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool, especially at this day and age where so many kids are growing up uh, in front of computers and TVs and to take them away from that for five or six days, a lot of them have never... I've never experienced that and so i mean it's it's really cool you see a big change in in kids but uh adults too and it's uh we get a lot of adults who have who've never done anything like this before or you know stresses of life or getting to them and so to take them out there and and just really allow them to kind of settle into this real basic routine and uh show them a, a beautiful area it's it's uh some pretty special Oh yeah, I'm sure you watch adults come in there stressed out, you know, having just gotten a few days off of work and probably leave a totally different person. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's no doubt about it. There's something that uh 
rivers specifically, but just wilderness in general, um, just does something to someone's psyche, you know, and, and really helps them to unwind and relax. And it's cool. It's cool to see. Yeah, no doubt. So where do you guys normally run? What rivers are you uh, are running for this company? Uh, yeah, so the company I work for is called Momentum River Expeditions, and we're based out of Ashland, Oregon. So a lot of our rivers are in that southern uh, Oregon, northern California. Uh, some of our main ones are the, the Rogue River, uh, the Klamath River, and then a handful of tributaries to each of those, the California Salmon, the Illinois, the Scott, and the Smith River. Uh, those are a lot lesser known. Um, and then we run the Owyhee, which is in eastern Oregon. And another big one for us is the Maine Salmon in Idaho. And so Ashland, I didn't realize that you were you were working out of there. That's a, that is a cool place. We were talking about McCall and being a, kind of a quaint yet adventurous uh, area to live in. Ashland's the same way. It's kind of right up against the foothills. And uh, what a beautiful little place that is. Yeah, I'd uh, kind of stumbled onto it by accident um, by getting introduced to this company while I was working in Idaho and then had the opportunity to come, go down and work in Oregon. And I'd, I'd never been to Ashland and it's, uh, it's definitely become quite the adventure hub and it's got a pretty, uh, pretty lively scene going on down there. Yeah, I'll bet. I was in there in Ashland, probably, I would say it's gotta be like 17, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, my wife and I were driving up the, the coastline trying to find a new place to, to live. We were kind of getting tired of where we were and, uh, thought maybe we'd just take a month-long road trip and go all the way up the coastline and check places out. And Ashland ended up being uh, pretty much one of the top two uh, places that we found that we were were thinking about moving to. We didn't ultimately do it, but uh, I would definitely be intrigued with getting back to that place. Yeah, it's got a lot to offer um, from rivers and mountains. There's biking. There's actually a huge trail running community there. A lot of ultra runners. Um so if you're into the outdoors or looking to get into the outdoors, it's got something for just about anybody. And, um, you know, it's, it's a small town, but it's, it's big enough that it's still got, uh, you know, those various amenities like movie theaters and things like that. And then the Shakespeare Festival is a huge draw there. So there's a, it's not just an outdoors adventure hub. Right, right. Yeah, and it's got Medford right up the road too. So I'm sure there's more work in Medford if somebody needs it. Well, you're a pretty lucky dude, man. I mean, McCall, Idaho, Ashton, Ashland, Oregon, and uh, you're talking to me from Silverton, Colorado. So those are uh, three absolutely beautiful places. You can't complain about that. No, not at all. I uh, think about it every day how lucky I've been to just, I don't know, a lot of this has kind of fallen into my lap and uh, not sure exactly how it's all come together, but it's uh, I feel pretty blessed to, to be able to live in these places that I've I'm able to. <laughs> right on. All right. So one of the, the reasons uh, or one of the things that Toby told me when he contacted me was that, uh, you know, about you being an adventurous person and doing a, a lot of cool stuff out there. Um, but one of the things he brought up was the hiking in the Seven Devils mountain range. And I didn't know anything about Seven Devils until I started researching it. And it occurred to me, I just rode down through there. Like I said, I was, I was coming down through through the spring on a motorcycle ride and I rode down 95 highway 95 right past it. But as I was looking it up, man, that place is absolutely gorgeous. It's stunning. Um, so let's dig into seven devils, what it is that, that, uh, 
made you decide to to do your trip there and what is it you guys did yeah so oh man my relationship with the seven devils started kind of right about the time i started rafting because uh so i started on the salmon river and the salmon river flows just on the uh, east side of the mountains there and so um you know a lot of days off we'd go up and go hiking up into the seven devils like the closest range there's some good climbing and a lot of really beautiful alpine lakes um so i, I kind of learned about it that way and then um just as i got more and more into the adventuring and, and putting trips together for myself i i really started to look at the seven devils because i knew at a really cool combination of mountains and lakes um and it's got a, a pretty neat little thing going on there so um the Salmon River on the east side of the range and then is the second deepest gorge in North America. And then Hell's Canyon, which is uh, the, cut by the Snake River on the west side of the range, is the deepest gorge in North America. So the Seven <laughs> Devils, specifically the peak He Devil, is like the point from which these two canyons are measured. And uh, so that was like super, super drawn to that because, I mean – not a lot of other places in the world to find anything like that. And I got really into doing like through, uh, through hikes, backpacking hikes and, uh, started looking at, you know, what I could do in the seven devils and, uh, you know, also using these two canyons and <clears throat> kind of mold over ideas for about five years. And this trip just kind of slowly changed and morphed. Um, as I looked more and more at the range on maps and Google Earth and all that good stuff and finally decided that uh, the trip I wanted to do was to hike out of the Salmon River Canyon, so the second deepest canyon in North America, up um, into the mountain range, summit eight of the major peaks in the mountain range, and uh, then descend into Hell's Canyon and take pack rafts with us and then pack raft out of uh out of hell's canyon on the snake river there and so i decided that about a year and a half ago and just started really doing research and looking at maps and figuring out you know what the route would be and and uh looking at people who would be interested and people who i'd want to do that trip with and kind of just how to make it a reality and uh so yeah we finally did that trip um end of september beginning of october of 2016 and um yeah it was just uh it was pretty cool to see that all come to fruition after five years of thinking about it a lot a bunch of planning had you been out there and done uh, other day trips in the meantime or was this just all kind of paper map planning and you finally got to do it um i'd done a few day trips a couple hikes but i hadn't been in there for a couple of years um, prior to doing this, uh, I'd actually tried to do the trip two years ago and <laughs> two days before I was getting ready to leave, uh, a lightning strike started a forest fire and the whole area got shut down. It just kind of became untenable. So it got put on the back burner while I had some other things going on and, uh, it evolved a little bit more. And, uh, so yeah, the last initial, I don't know, two years or so was just a lot of maps and Google earth. And uh, I've been down 
Hell's Canyon. I, I guided through there for a few years, so I knew that portion of it pretty well and had been in various areas of it uh, on their own, but never, you know, linked it all up as we ended up doing. So, how many days were you guys out there from start to finish? Uh, yeah, it was a seven day trip, so okay. a week. All right, and then so how much of that was was hiking, and how much of it was the pack rafting? Uh, so about five days of uh, five days of hiking and climbing, and then a day and a half or so of pack rafting. Okay, that's a good amount of time for the pack raft. What do those things weigh? We've uh, we've talked a little bit about pack rafts on the show, but not a ton. I'm kind of I'm intrigued with them. So fill us in a little bit on pack rafts, and and do you give up? you know, other stuff you have to carry because you have a pack raft or how does it work? Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't know too much about pack rafts either until a couple of years ago. And, uh, and they're a really cool craft and they've been around for like 15 years now, but I've really kind of come into the limelight in the last few years. Um, so there's a few different companies out there making them. The ones that we use are by a company, a boating manufacturing company called air, uh, based out of Boise, Idaho. And uh, they were actually awesome. They helped us out, um, hooked us up with the boats um, to do the trip. But those, um, their specific model, the back raft, is a seven pounds, and it's seven feet long. Um, and included with that, you get kind of like a backrest that doubles as a dry bag, and then also your pump to blow it up. Um, so it's a pretty pretty cool setup that way, and really allows you to be pretty minimal on the boating stuff. And then um, we got some four-piece breakdown paddles from Werner and uh, carried those. So those worked really well. We were able to fit them inside our, our um, packs. And so as far as, uh, yeah, as far as like gear goes, we definitely had to cut down a little bit just because, um, you know, adding that extra space they're, they're light, but they're a little bulky. So we went pretty, pretty minimal on uh, all of our gear, like not a lot of extra clothes. Uh, food was, you know, left a little bit to be desired. <laughs> um, but, you know, as far as getting into remote places and doing things like that, um, I just can't say enough about how, how awesome that the pack rafts really are and what they're opening up for people. Uh, really cool. Yeah, so you have to deal a little bit with the uh, additional weight or or loss of some things you might have brought with you in a normal pack, but the gains that you get out of it have to be awesome. Just to be able to to hike up in there, and it's got to be uh, quite a feeling to hike for for five days, you know, and then finally inflate this thing and float down the river. I mean, that's that's quite the reward. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was really nice because. Uh carrying that thing all that way it started to feel like a little bit of your enemy you know like it was <laughs> right. just extra weight but then when it, we blew them up and got them in the water it was like it was so worth it and uh just just to take a little bit of that pressure off our legs which were feeling pretty worked from doing all that that climbing and hiking and then just the fun and of the boating itself it was uh it was it was really cool Oh yeah, and you've already consumed what three quarters of your food by then too. So you've gotten even lighter. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, make for yeah, a good float trip. Absolutely, <laughs> and you know the pack rafts, you can definitely put some weight in them, but that's an- another thing you got to think about when you're planning and packing is like you got to be able to fit all this stuff on your boat, so you can't overload it too much. You know, even if you're 
an animal and can carry a a hundred pound pack, you know, like you might not have room or or anything in the, the, the boat when it comes time to use it. So it's another little piece of logistics that comes into play. Yeah. It limits you, but in a good way. That's cool. Yeah, totally. So did I read correctly that you guys actually filmed this particular trip? Uh, yeah, we did. Yep. I, uh, that was kind of, uh, one of the later stages of the planning. Um, I put some feelers out there to friends and uh, a friend of mine put me in contact with a, a guy. His name's Edwin Olding, who is a filmmaker, um, real up and coming. And he's working on a cool project called The Last Free River. So definitely we had like a lot of the same outlooks on trips and, you know, just our opinions about wild places and whatnot so we got in contact and kind of hit it off immediately and so he came along and recorded the whole trip and he's currently uh working on editing the film we're thinking it'll probably be kind of a short film five to eight minutes or so and uh so don't have too much of a time frame on that but we'll hopefully won't be too much longer before we get that out and start circulating it Right on. So is this going to be a YouTube film or are you going to put it in venture film festivals or what's the, what's the plan for it? Or you yeah. That? Um, both. I think we're going to kind of wait to see how it turns out, but the ultimate goal, um, if we like what comes from it, is definitely to put in some film festivals and circulate it that way. And then, you know, obviously the usual channels through social media and, and whatnot, but, um, yeah, just thought it would be kind of a, cool story to tell and a cool adventure that as far as we're aware of no one else has done anything quite like it so we just wanted to share it and and uh you know having footage is is kind of nice leverage to get sponsorship for those things too yeah no doubt about it it had to be a blast so what is the the last free river what is the the premise of the movie uh the the last free river that, that he was working on um it's about the Yellowstone River. Um, there's currently some dams that are, or one specific dam that's being proposed um, on the Yellowstone, and uh, it's currently free free flowing. But uh, there's a dam. It's kind of stuck in litigation right now, as I understand it. But it was basically the film was made to bring awareness to this dam that's being built and how that's going to affect this like huge ecosystem the um the yellowstone's a, a really large river i'm not sure how big the watershed is but it's it's one of the major rivers in the west for sure and so um him and some other guys did uh a trip they did uh the entire length of the river and filmed it and they talked with various people um farmers and recreationists and people involved with the hydroelectric world and you know you name it, all aspects of it to get just like a big overall picture of what's going on there and then try and kind of bring like public awareness to, to the situation. Yeah, definitely. There aren't, there aren't a lot of, uh, there aren't a lot of rivers, but there aren't a lot of like major rivers left, uh, that don't have big dams on them. So that aren't interrupted. Kind of, yeah. Kind of a big deal there. Yeah. Now you said, so the footage that you guys did on your, your seven devils trip, that's not part of it. That's a separate film. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, the film that we're making is uh, pretty sure we're going to call it uh, Seven Days, Seven Devils, and that's just going to be kind of a, a short film about you know our our exploits in the Seven Devils and Hell's Canyon. 
Right on. We'll have to keep an eye out for it. We were at the, uh, Kurt and I were at the Boulder Outdoor Film Festival over the summer, and uh, a lot of cool little films like that. They're a lot of fun to go see. We'll check it out. Yeah, it seems like there's becoming more and more like film festivals and local film festivals, and uh, it's really cool to to get to watch those and see what you know different people are putting out there because there are a ton of people doing really cool stuff. Oh yeah, you talk about inspiration. You know, our our show is all about inspiring people to to go do these kind of things. And you go to a one of these outdoor adventure film festivals, and you just walk out of there. It's like watching a, a Warren Miller film and want to go bomb down the mountain on a snowboard the next day and some power. You know, but you go watch these adventure film festivals and you get, you know, all kinds of things. You get climbing and and skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, river rafting, everything. And you just walk out thinking, man, I want to do every single one of those. Which one can I start first, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including... Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. Hell's Canyon, you know, you had uh, talked about it being the deepest gorge. That completely threw me off. It was, it was almost uh, unbelievable, you know. So I had to actually go look it up. And it is, you're right, it's over eight thousand feet deep, and like you said, deeper than the uh, than the Grand Canyon. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's pretty mind blowing. Um, yeah, Grand Canyon's actually number three. So you have those two canyons right there next to each other, and. Uh, it's uh it's it's pretty wild it's it's not uh it's not nearly as dramatic as the grand canyon with those like 
just sheer straight cliff walls but yeah no doubt it's uh it's it's a big big canyon okay so i mean obviously i i bring that up because that's that's something that i think everybody needs to see um so let's talk about where seven devils is i don't think we really really quite laid out uh where people would find this so we're talking um western idaho on the border of oregon yeah, central western Idaho. Yeah, right on the border. Um, it forms the Snake River forms the border between Idaho and Oregon, and then the the Seven Devils Mountains are just on the Idaho side, so the the eastern side of of the river there. Um, and then, I mean, it's it's not the easiest place to get to. It's pretty remote. Your best options, if you're not driving, you know, you'd fly into either Lewiston or Boise, and then you've got a few hours and several hundred miles of traveling on not bad roads but certainly you know windy windy roads and and getting up there um into the mountain range there's there's some really nice overlooks uh windy saddle is is a pretty nice one and relatively easy to get to um you can't see the river from there but it puts you right up in the mountains and you you can see some of the peaks and then uh if you want the other end of it um you know a three or four or even five day rafting trip down the snake river through hell's canyon is a, a pretty cool way to experience it as well yeah but when i was looking uh looking at some of the videos of of hell's canyon drone videos and whatnot i i realized there's a a hell's canyon uh, scenic drive along it and uh of course that caught my attention because i'm always looking for good good places to uh to ride my adventure motorcycle and i thought that's definitely one i got to put on the list that's got to be a pretty cool ride yeah yeah it's a, it's a really cool ride so that gets you down into the canyon and you drive past a couple uh very large reservoirs and dams and then uh <clears throat> so where you know if you were to go boating or, or rafting specifically or kayaking or do something like what we did it's the uh it's a remote section of the river that's undammed and pretty well protected um so it's below that and it's completely roadless you know it's a full-on wilderness experience but you can also get a pretty good feel of it by doing that hell's canyon scenic drive and uh yeah it's that's a neat way to experience it as well i think i'm gonna have to uh combine a trip where i ride out there on the on the bike and then go do some through hiking while i'm there that sounds like a that sounds like a good plan i'll have to plan that one out yeah that'd be perfect all right, so let's move on to Moab then. Uh, we talked about some uh, climbing in Moab, and then uh, you and your girlfriend out there had done a, uh, I think it was an eight-day canoe trip uh, down through the Rio. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so the the canoe trip itself actually, we did this this big road trip through the Southwest, and we spent a bunch of time climbing in Moab. But the canoe trip specifically was actually in Texas, on uh, the the Texas Mexico border on the Rio Grande there. Um, and so we went down and met up with a couple good friends of mine who are also guides in Idaho and they do, they do some guiding down there on the Rio Grande and, and also some restoration work. And, uh, so, so Jeff, uh, my buddy down there, he was out on actually a 20 day long canoe trip doing a whole documentation of all the vegetarian vegetation and the specifically the riparian area of the the Rio Grande there and so we met up with him to do the lower canyon section which is uh, the final about 80 miles and we did that in like seven seven days um 
Yeah, so we kind of met him right at the tail end of his trip there. Well, that's funny. I was uh, I was wondering how you guys had tied those two locations together. So it was yeah. just kind of this big circumnavigation. <laughs> yeah, totally. We uh, we both grew up in Idaho, and we're super into the outdoors and looking to adventure. So, and we hadn't really spent much time in the Southwest, and we'd gotten a couple of friends down there in the last few years, and so we thought, hey, you know, my rafting season ended, and things were kind of winding down for her at work. So we took off for two months and just, you know, kind of slowly made our way south, um, ending, you know, in Texas right there on, on the border uh, for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Nice. So in Moab itself, you guys were doing a, a bunch of rock climbing. Is that why you're out there? Yeah. Yeah. We spent two weeks in Moab, um, just camped out various places. I mean, for anyone who's been there, it's just, I mean, it's a huge rock climbing destination and, uh, <clears throat> we'd both do a bit of climbing. And so we wanted to get down there and, and check that out because it's just such a world renowned, uh, spot for it. Uh, so yeah, we went down and camped out and I mean, the amount of climbing down there is, it would take you a lifetime to, to do all of it. So I think we really just scratched the surface and, uh, yeah, it was, it was real, real fun to just kind of focus on one thing for a little while there right right yeah i think anything you do in moab is just scratching the surface you go <laughs> like you talk you know, it's a, a big mecca for for rock climbing you just drive uh, along the roads and that's all you see is chalk marks up the up the side of the cliffs yeah it's it's pretty wild how how uh, how many routes there are like the one area specifically wall street I mean, it's, yeah, it's right there on the road. You're almost kind of worried about, mm -hmm. like, falling <laughs> at cars. That's what I was picturing, yeah, when I was talking yeah. about it. And, uh, I mean, there's that kind of stuff. That's It's almost like a gym atmosphere there. There's just tons of people and great rock climbers, and everyone's just awesome energy, and everyone's feeding off each other. And then, uh, you know, there's also these great – a lot of things you see, like these big towers that are multi-pitch trad climbs that, you know, you, you have to hike – quite a ways to get to so you know there's that stuff right on the road and there's stuff you got to hike miles to get to and everything in between there's it's it's a little something for everyone not to mention the the world-class mountain biking and a lot of jeeping and like atv off-road type stuff as well oh yeah yeah i was out there for a week on my mountain bike uh this past fall i guess october it was and i was really you know i've been to moab quite quite a few times doing various uh, adventure sports but the place is booming man i mean it is growing so fast and even october you know i was kind of thought you know spring is kind of prime season it slows a little bit uh in the, the heat of the summer and it picks up again um after summer but even mid-october it was i mean it was really hard to even find camping i had to go out on the blm land um you know, away from the, the trails for a while, for a couple of days until it started to clear out. I'm just blown away at how much it's building up. Yeah, I haven't spent uh, a very much time there, but that was totally my experience too. It was like, especially on the weekend, pretty, like you're saying, hard to find camping. And it's just lively with people of all different, you know, doing all kinds of different things. So they're, they're, they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Might have a little bit to do with their, their surroundings. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably has everything to do with their surroundings. Yep. So before yeah. we get on to your um, 
your Colorado trip, I want to, or your Colorado River trip, uh, the canoeing trip, I want to talk a little bit about your um, wilderness EMT certification. So, obviously, for for what you're doing, it's a it's a wise move to to become certified. But what else drove that? Was it simply so that you could assist yourself and the people you're out with uh, in medical situations, or was there something else behind it as well? Uh, yeah, that was probably the main driving force behind it. It was definitely just trying to be as prepared as I possibly can to, you know, help those people I'm out there with. Cause I do spend, um, a, a lot of time in really remote places. So I really wanted to, um, kind of step up my level there. I've been a wilderness first responder for quite a while, which is a, a really good, um, course and really good certification, but I was kind of ready to take it to the the next level. Um, and then kind of the other driving force, uh, I've been involved in a few different search and rescue and, and wilderness medical type of things. Um, and I, I found that I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that, um, you know, being that kind of first responder out there on the scene to help, help these people who are in a real, a real bad way. And, you know, um, feels pretty good to, to get someone out of there after they've been seriously hurt and, you know, possibly could have died and, and to know that you're a part of, you know, saving a life or a limb or whatever was a good feeling. So after that, I kind of, uh, started looking more into like search and rescue and, and volunteering more with that. And, uh, also just the medical side of things. Like i just really enjoyed that kind of that being that helping hand out there and um it's also just a little bit of something kind of to diversify the resume you know guiding I love guiding and it's awesome but it it might not be uh something that I do for the rest of my life so I kind of wanted to start looking in some other areas and uh the medical field and you know specifically like first responder EMT type stuff was kind of what really caught my attention so it was you know getting that certification was partially preparedness and then also kind of poking into other other realms to see you know what what else might be out there as far as like occupation goes yeah that's why i asked i had a feeling it wasn't simply self-serving or or just helping people that you're you're out with and it might have something to do with a career move i mean for somebody that's that enjoys this kind of stuff i mean being a uh, a wilderness EMT first responder is a uh, is a pretty cool job, I would think. It gets you out there in the the place you love, but you're able to help people and hey, earn a living while you're at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, <laughs> it's you know it's kind of the best of both worlds. If you have that that type of personality, I don't know. There's not a lot of other ways you can uh, you can go with that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's talk about the 18-day canoe trip on the Colorado River down through the Grand Canyon. What what sparked this desire to put this trip together? Uh, yeah, uh, well, just being a river person, it's kind of like one of those bucket list type of trips that everybody, I mean, I think a lot of people want to do, but especially if you're a guide or a big avid river runner, it's, it's up there on your list. So I always kind of just keep my feelers out for stuff like that and uh a friend of mine that i used to guide with a few years back uh drew a permit there's a whole lottery system that you have to pay some money and put your name in and you know they draw x amount of names each year and then so he's the one that really put the trip together and uh, got a bunch of old college friends and 
all river guide buddies together and, and we went down and did uh 18 days um which is like 200 about 280 miles or so through the grand canyon on the colorado river and it's uh it's a whole nother world down there it's it's kind of hard to put into words um it's an amazing rafting trip with some of the biggest white water you'll ever see in your life <laughs> definitely a lot to get the adrenaline going there but uh just unspeakable scenery and beauty and awe-inspiring you know rock formations and cool um historic um you know native american sites um so it's a great rafting trip but it's like it's so much more than just a boating trip it's it's a great hiking trip there's you know a million and one different side canyons to to walk into that in their own right would be like a world-class you know canyoning or backpacking trip and it's just like one of 20 different side hikes that you get to do while you're on this whole other adventure um so that was just pretty unforgettable experience as far as that goes yeah 18 days in the colorado is a long damn time i mean (laughs) (laughs) not that not that i would turn it down don't get me wrong but yeah, that's a long time on the river. Yeah, yeah. It it uh you know, I kind of talked about getting people out of you know, the uh the urbanization and stuff and it's like it's the ultimate as far as that goes. I mean, you're just fully settled into this routine of like wake up, make breakfast, go do a cool hike, get on the river, boat, you know, 15 20 miles, maybe do another hike, you know, eat lunch in there somewhere and it's just like it's just gets really basic just back to the just very basic like necessities of food and shelter and you're you're out there you make just the connections you make with the people that you spend 18 days on a, on a river with is you know there's it's hard to come by um an opportunity to to connect with someone like that and conversations and sharing of ideas it's just it's pretty unparalleled yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I need to do one of those trips. The uh, back when I lived in Connecticut, a buddy of mine and I went up and ran the the Saco River for a few days, um, a couple years in a row. And I guess it was four or five days, if I remember right. Um, but just I still remember that fondly. Just being able to to run the river and then pull up on some sandbank when you're done for the day. You know, there's just no itinerary. We just decided to pull up on a sandbank and make camp there. And it was just such a, it was probably the most relaxed I've ever been in my life <laughs> in that, that environment, you know, just no, no real plan other than to get to the, to the destination at the, you know, down the river and just to be able to pull up and make camp and, and chill out was awesome. Yeah. Like you're saying, you, you definitely have this kind of overarching larger plan of like, there's a definitely a, a beginning and an end point, but what you do in you know those hours or days or, or weeks that you're out there is just it's really free form and it's it's up to you know everyone and whatever people want to do and you just you know on those big trips it's great you know you're like i don't let's not go boating today you know let's hang out at this beach and play volleyball and uh you know drink beer and go for a hike or, or whatever and uh it's you, there, you just don't have the opportunity anywhere else to do that kind of stuff Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you love mountains? You are not alone. 
Jerry Roach is well known for his extraordinary and detailed guidebook, Colorado 14ers. But did you know that Jerry has written 15 books, including guidebooks to 13ers, Indian Peaks, Rocky Mountain National Park, and more? But he has also written narratives about a lifetime of mountaineering full of Jerry's insights and humor. If you like adventure, then these books are for you. Jerry Roach's books can be purchased at his website, summitsite.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T-S-I-G-H-T dot com, as well as on Amazon and in bookstores near you. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you. All right, so the last thing, there's actually two more things. I do want to talk about your trip in Spain, um, but before we go on to that, what would you say was your most memorable time on one of these adventures? And it could be good or bad, but what's the one that you love to tell a story about? Yeah, I think uh, in the, the Seven Devils trip, um, I, I kind of talked about climbing, the, the climbing aspect of that. We spent two days actually in the mountain range itself and summited eight peaks in that time. And, uh, <clears throat> that was just like, it was super, super challenging. I knew it was going to be hard and it was harder than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, so we did this, this big traverse through, you know, all these different peaks and we came time to do this, this last peak. And, uh, the rocks out there are just, I mean, it's on this scale that's, it's pretty hard to describe, but it's all just crumbly and there's just massive boulder fields and scree and everything's moving around on your feet. So it's just, it's super slow going and it's exhausting and, and just really difficult and things don't look that far away. And then you start hiking and, and it turns out to be a lot farther than you thought. So it came time. We're saving uh, what we knew was going to be kind of the most challenging climb uh, of the trip for last on the Devil's Throne, and it was also kind of the, the farthest outlier. And it was getting kind of late in the day. We were standing on top of um, Mount Belial, which was the peak we had just summited before that, and we we're looking off to the south. And there was definitely some storm clouds and you know obvious thunderhead, and we could see rain. And it was this big decision time of like, well, this is our last peak that we that we're trying to do, and it's a big part of of the trip that we're trying to do. So you know, there was a lot of motivation to to get it done. But it was like three in the afternoon, and you know, it was going to be a, a mile long traverse across pretty much razor sharp 
ridges and then through these big scree fields where you take one step and you slide two steps backwards and that kind of deal. So we knew it was going to take quite a while. And I think this will probably be in the film, but we had a little discussion standing on top of Mount Bilal about whether or not it was like a good idea or a smart thing to do. And, uh, Brianna, my girlfriend, was feeling pretty tired, and she was questioning whether or not she could do it. So, you know, we had a discussion and decided that she was kind of gonna she was gonna hang out there. And Edwin and myself, uh, he's the filmer. We're gonna just try and move real quick and and get it done. And so, I mean, we dang near ran over there, and uh, <laughs> feeling feeling it by the time we got there, and we get to the base of this climb and. As far as like technical rock climbing goes, it's not anything crazy, but we weren't we didn't bring any protection, we didn't have ropes or anything. And this is, you know, low fifth class climbing, so it's the type of stuff that you would, you know, go to any crag or a rock wall or gym or whatever and, and people would be roping up to do it. So we we started climbing up it and it was it was good, pretty easy climbing, but it was certainly uh no fall scenario and we <clears throat> kind of worked our way up through this chimney system and the rocks are just they're really crumbly so you got to be re real careful about what you're stepping on where you're grabbing onto and um you know we kind of leapfrogged our way up at him filming a little bit and then me leading some of it and worked through some really nice really fun rock climbing and then some stuff that was <laughs> a far cry from fun rock climbing just really uh loose kind of scary stuff to be climbing <laughs> you know like the whole thing was just a house of cards or like a sand pile it was, felt like it was about to just crumble out underneath you and uh man we got to the summit of that mountain and it was just it was a really rewarding feeling i was i was bummed that brianna couldn't make it because she'd done the, the other seven peaks but for him and i to stand up there and just know like how far we had come and how much work we had put into it. Um, <clears throat> it was a really good feeling. We just it was beautiful. It was sunny. The storm hadn't gotten there, and uh, we just sat on top of that peak there for probably half an hour and just like I don't know, we didn't say much. Just both had like huge smiles on our faces. Um, that was that was one of my favorite moments of that trip for sure. And then the last two years basically um we we ended up we made it back and met up with brianna and spent the next two hours making our way down to camp and you know it ended up being like an 11 hour day and we got to camp in the dark spent the last hour and a half hiking in the dark so that, that just kind of made it all the much sweeter it was like it was just so challenging and then to to have done it and know that all that was behind us it was like a really rewarding feeling especially right. for me after having like put a lot of time and energy into planning planning the trip and to get through all of that was it was good oh yeah well i'm wondering if you didn't just sum up the the meaning of adventure you know that we're always asking the what what adventure means to you but you know thinking about my own times when you've you've been in the middle of something really really difficult and then finally you get through it and you have this this moment of you know elation. You're like, I'm there. I made it. And I, maybe that's what adventure is: is that that moment where the good moment immediately follows the the hard time. You know, and that's you know you've been 
through or on an adventure when you've experienced that because you know other times it might just be a you know adventure is just a, a stroll and nothing happens necessarily it's just something you enjoy but when you can go through something like that you know it's maybe it's life-threatening or it's just grueling and exhausting and your lungs are screaming and then come out the other side and all of a sudden things are awesome and you have this feeling of i just put myself through that but i survived it and made it maybe that's adventure right there oh yeah i could not agree more with that statement um and I, I think a cool thing about that is it's different for everyone you know you said maybe it's a stroll in the park or you know maybe it's like climbing one of the seven summits or whatever and it's it's just that absolutely that's that feeling of pushing yourself kind of just like to the edge physically mentally whatever that you know that limit is for you and then to to just take that next step past past where you thought you could go and to to achieve that goal that you set out to um that's that's adventure for sure and i think that's a big thing that the outdoors and all these various sports have to offer for people. It's just, uh, it's, it's a big, uh, self exploration really, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Of the mind really, just to know what, what it is you can, uh, withstand and conquer. It's, uh, it's definitely freeing. Yeah. And to realize that you can, uh, withstand and conquer a lot more than you probably ever thought you could. That's, uh, it's a freeing, it's a very, uh, very good feeling. Yep. Then you know you're alive. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap uh, wrap up by talking a little bit about your trip uh, month backpacking in Spain. So just kind of give us the highlights of that. What was that all about? Yeah, so um, Brianna, my girlfriend, was studying abroad over there for four months. And so that was the fall semester. And uh, I was finishing up my rafting season. And there's no way I was going to pass up an opportunity like that. So started doing research and whatnot and Spain's got some of the best climbing in the world um I mean if you're a climber and you watch videos and stuff a lot of that a lot of the hardest especially sport climbing is coming out of Spain so I knew I wanted to do some some climbing over there and then obviously it's a super culturally rich area you know just Europe in general but Spain's got really neat neat history so there was a big significant portion of that so yeah i went over there and uh spent a lot of time with her and we're she was living um in san sebastian which is in the basque country on on the north coast of uh spain there and so i spent a lot of time just wandering that city um right before i'd gotten there it'd been chosen to be the cultural center of europe so they were doing a lot of really cool cultural things there's like there's just a huge amount of history awesome cathedrals and museums and i mean you name it it's, it's right on the ocean so there's surfing and things like that so i spent a, a good portion of of my time over there just wandering around that city and seeing everything it has to offer um and then i i uh met up with a guy who i'd met on a climbing forum and you know, jumped a couple buses and did a little hitchhiking to get out into the Basque countryside and um, went and spent a few days climbing with him. Um, and that was super cool. Not uh, not any sort of like crazy climbing by any means, but just to experience that on the other side of the world with someone I never met was, was pretty fun. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was something else. And then... 
Um, Brianna had a couple breaks in her school, so we made our way out to the Pyrenees uh, Mountains, which are right on the border of France and Spain there. And uh, did a little bit of research, but not a lot. We knew uh, this town called Hakka was kind of a uh, adventure hub. And so we, we basically just kind of went there like, let's go camping and backpacking, but not really having an idea of where we would go or, or what really laid ahead. And got into town, um, we're able to get some information and some maps from like the tourist info uh, department there, I guess. And, you know, hopped a few more buses and I, her Spanish got pretty good, but mine is pretty rough. So, you know, traveling and hitchhiking and stuff was just an adventure in and of itself. <laughs> it makes it more so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we hopped some buses and just basically got dropped off on like the side of the road at this trailhead and walked up to this really neat lake called Ibon de Ip, which is high up in the Pyrenees. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's like 9,000 or maybe 10,000 feet. It's just this beautiful cirque. It's surrounded by mountains, really nice, rocky. And <clears throat> this was in the fall, so there was a little bit of snow and temperatures were a little chilly for sure. But it was a great trip, you know, nice and sunny. Uh, we, we, we went back to San Sebastian and did a few other things and made our way back to the Pyrenees again but this time it was later and it, it had been raining a bunch which meant snow up in the mountains and uh it was just I mean it was raining cats and dogs and we got farther up into the mountains and there's this uh small town called uh Confranca Estacion and uh not a whole lot going on there but it's kind of close to a ski resort but it wasn't ski time it was basically the shoulder season so most of the businesses were shut down the hostels were closed and it was raining hard and so we went to the tourist info there and told them what our plans was you know we were looking for maps and we wanted to go hiking and they basically told us that we they wouldn't give us any information they told us we couldn't do it you know that it was <laughs> it was a stupid idea and and that it was just it wasn't gonna happen and because of the weather or what was there? yeah because of the weather i mean okay. it was like um i think it was like negative four celsius so you know mm. below below freezing for sure and there's a lot of snow and and I, we both spent a bunch of time and felt comfortable in that environment but these people you know they didn't <laughs> they didn't know us or our history and right our Spanish wasn't really good enough to convey that. Um, eventually, we were able to get some good info, and uh, this awesome local, he knew the owner of uh, the hostel in town, which was closed, but he called him, and they like put us up there for a night. Uh, we actually ended up spending Thanksgiving there, drinking wine and uh, eating Top Ramen. <laughs> <laughs> there's a combination yeah in a closed hostel that you know we had the whole place to ourselves. and the next morning caught a bus up into the snow and walked through the parking lot of uh this ski resort out to where we thought this trailhead was at and uh we found it and we went out there and hiked through the mountains and went up to uh this little lake and there's i don't know probably a foot of snow on the ground and it was chilly but we were well prepared and saw a bunch of ibex and it was uh it was I was kind of another one of those times where people are like, Oh, you can't do this and then to do it and 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 do it well. It was it was really, really fun. Oh yeah, uh, it sounds like you had the whole place to yourselves at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we were right on the border of uh, Spain and France. We actually crossed into France at one point and hiked through there a little bit. So, yeah, not not a soul in sight. It was uh, it was special and uh, really drove home the point to me. Like I spent a lot of time in the mountains, and that's a place I really consider to kind of be home in a way. And then to uh, to go into a mountain range on the other side of the world where I don't speak the language and I don't know anybody, um, but it still it just totally felt like home. You know, it was like just going going back home almost. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Transplant yourself halfway across the world and uh, you feel at home because you're out in the wilderness. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you definitely intrigue me. I, uh, I need to get over to Europe. I was actually born in Spain, but but left there as a as a baby. So unfortunately, don't have any recollection of it. So I guess that's a, <laughs> a good reason to, to get out there and do the same thing. Yeah, um, I highly would recommend Spain. Uh, it was not something that was on my radar previous to her um, going to school there. And I'm so glad that she did. And I was able to go over and experience it because it it's an amazing place. Very, very cool. I, I'd recommend it to anybody. All right. Good deal. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you spending the hour with me telling me uh, and the listeners about your adventures. I hope we've inspired a few people to, to maybe don a pack raft or go do some, some whitewater rafting or maybe some through hiking of the, the Seven Devils. I mean, that's your description of it definitely makes me want to, to go up there and check that whole area out. And that's the, that's the whole reason we do this show is to introduce either new adventures or new locations to people. And you definitely got me intrigued with that area. So I'm going to have to book some time out and, and get up there and check it out myself. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks a ton for having me. And, you know, a big part of why I love guiding, like I talked about is just sharing these places with other people and getting them out. So if this can be another forum to do that, man, I can't be more happy with it. Yeah. That's the whole point of it, right? Put down your yeah. phone, put down your tablet and, uh, get out there and, and experience some of this. So I'm all for it. So, all right, yeah. Sam, well, thanks for your time again. I really appreciate it, and uh, you take care. Thank you very much, Travis. All right. Hey, make sure you visit this episode post over at adventuresportspodcast.com. Sam let me know that his buddy Edwin had filmed the whole thing and has finally gotten the uh, video up on YouTube. So uh, that video shows you all about what the Hell's Canyon wilderness area looks like, and I think you guys will like it. It'll probably make you want to get out there and experience it for yourself. Until the next time, get out and try something new.